0: No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here.
3: Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio.
4: Yo, Elizabeth Dutton. Hey, Zarin. What's up? I got a question for you, girl. Yeah, what's it? Do you know what's ridiculous? I do, actually. You're going to spread it? Spread some words. Sure.
5: Let me give you a little background, though. All
4: right.
5: Okay, so you know that I'm going to talk about some things that I like, Uh and that's not ridiculous.
4: No, not at all.
5: I like candles, Ah. but I'm snobby about candles. No. <laughs> <laughs> I only like expensive candles because they smell good. Yes. Like I right know. now, I'm a little bit obsessed with these candles from this company, Addis VIV.
4: No. Addis
5: VIV. Oh,
4: Adidas.
5: No. no, it's like Addis Ababa. Oh, I, I didn't really Addis listen. Addis VIV. Okay, anyway, yes. they're amazing. I'm not even getting paid for this. They should pay me. <laughs> uh-huh. But seriously, like, they're the most incredible candles in the I'll, world.
4: I'll write it down. I love them. Yes.
5: So I like that. You know what else I like?
4: Um, Polka music, onion soup. Onion soup? hmm Oh, no. Do These things go together. And I like oh, no. I like chips. Oh, God. Yeah. You back-ended on this one. I
5: totally did.
4: You slipped it in like a shoehorn. <sighs> okay. oh, all of a sudden, I'm in a stank foot. So,
5: are you familiar... Okay, first of all, are you familiar yes. with the Super Bowl?
4: Uh, oh, with, with the footballs. We just had one. Yes.
5: Yeah, it was a huge bowl. It's Super Bowl. Yes,
4: it's the best For the game. whole globe. Everybody loves it. Yeah.
5: Okay, so... Um, people have Super Bowl parties. I've talked about this Yes, before, I went to at one. At length. Yes. And you went to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have dips and chip?
4: Uh, I had chips, no dip.
5: Chip and dips? Wait, what? <laughs> okay, so have you ever heard of, is it hell of a good dip?
4: Let's just say it is and keep moving.
5: It's a brand in the store. Oh, no, I don't
4: know. H-E-L-U-V-A, hell of, a yeah, a
5: hell, of, hell of a good dip. Yeah, I figure hell of a good dip. You know, they got ranch. Uh-huh. They got uh Onion,
4: oh, <laughs> they, got, they got them all. Ranch, onion. So they
5: so they had this special thing. for This is taking way too long. They had this special <laughs> thing for the Super Bowl. They were giving away Super Bowl snack scented candles. Why? So they made a French onion candle, uh-huh. and they also had like a recipe for French onion soup bites. Which? How, okay. okay. Aside from that, uh-huh. buttermilk ranch, and then just potato chip scent candle. <laughs> it just
4: smells like oil and potato. So you just walk in.
5: You've been eating and chips salt. in here, uh? Uh-uh, uh, baby. <laughs> I'm lighting it up. Onion, and, French onion candle. Yeah, Just I, go cook some onions.
4: I know what you're getting for your birthday. I know.
5: I reek of onions all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that, 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 that is ridiculous.
4: That is très ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Now, it's coincidental, though, because uh, I've got something for you that should be right up your uh, alley. Oh, okay. Yeah.
5: My shooter alley?
4: Yeah. You know what well, <laughs> exactly. My <laughs> shooter alley. The uh the thing that I was thinking of that's ridiculous is uh-huh. uh capitalism.
5: Gonna get, gonna get me right in the shooter alley. No. Capitalism? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah,
4: let's just slide past that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Capitalism is ridiculous, Elizabeth. Uh-huh, yeah. But not like in the good fun way. You know, it's ridiculous like in that Picasso face way. Okay. And by that I mean it's it's recognizable, uh-huh. you know, but it's still distorted and exploited and it's probably overvalued by market speculators. Right? So Anyway, I'm not going to get on a soapbox about capitalism. You know my feelings about it.
5: All economic models
4: are ridiculous. (laughs) You've long felt that way. I have. Well, leaving aside my college freshman opinions about capitalism, (laughs) I would like to tell you about a crime of capitalism. One that is ridiculous and one that involves onions. Yes. Yeah, it's about onions, Uh Elizabeth. You like onions? See what I started? You like onions? Yeah, you like onions. What's your third favorite onion? Red. Okay, good choice. Well, I like onions too. So now imagine if onions were suddenly like $90 a bag for onions. That'd be ridiculous, right? That would be very ridiculous. That's essentially what happened in 1955 when one man conspired to create an onion cartel so that he could have control over all of the onions in America. Yes. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Elizabeth. Zaren. Before we get into the onion cartel and the man with the Bond villain dreams to mm-hmm. control all the onions in America, I'd like to talk to you about a subject that's very near and dear to my heart.
5: Onions?
0: Now,
4: no, I want to talk to you about pork belly futures. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me back up. Do you know what a pork belly future is? Kind of.
5: I mean, okay. I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, yeah, totally. And then you
4: ask me something. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> well, okay, Let's keep it simpler. It's you,
5: like, all, you know what it is? It's all buy, sell, sell, buy. Exactly. I yell it into a phone. Yeah, and then okay. I had
4: another guy who's like yelling buy, buy, sell at, mm-hmm. that, at them.
5: Yeah, with like a bunch of little slips of paper in my hand. Perfect,
4: Yeah, Yep, I you know. know, I know. These okay, well, do you know what a pork belly is? Mm-hmm. Okay, now what is a pork belly?
5: It's the belly of a... Uh, Pork <laughs> of a pig.
4: <laughs> yes, it's a butcher's cut of pork. Yeah. It's like a it's side of It's got like beef. a
5: big layer of fat on it. Yes,
4: it's where we get bacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I figure you're familiar with like how we get bacon. You've you lived Foul, in the South. All these good things. Exactly. Yep. Now, hogs are a huge market. Everyone around the world loves pork. We talk about chicken, but everybody loves pork. Did you know how much pork we produce in a year as a just as a globe? No. In, I'm going to tell you, in millions of metric tons oh, of hogs, <laughs> So China's number one, and they produce 5.47 million metric tons of hog every year. The European Union? That's a lot of hog. 2.3 million metric tons of hog. God. Now, U.S., we're number three. Number three. Number three. <laughs> so we're number three, 1.21 million metric tons. And rounding out the top four is Brazil with 3.7 million tons. So I'm sorry, we are, uh, yeah. Yeah point three seven. Is this maybe. when
5: they're weighing them? Is that root or to tutor? Is that like the bones and everything, that y- weight?
4: Yeah, that's like a sale price weight. They use all of it. Let's be frank. Yeah, everything but the Let's tail. Let's be
5: frank. You see that? <laughs> frank like and yeah, that? It's a hot dog joke.
4: Mm-hmm. That's good. No Pork. <laughs> The demand for pig has been so high and so just outsized for so long, and we were talking centuries, that eventually when we get into, like, capitalism era, the pork belly market was always super volatile. It just was like the prices were fluctuating, they'd rise and fall, hog farmers would make a fortune, and then they'd lose everything. So something had to be done. They're like, how do we stabilize this? Pork belly market, starting in 1961, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, that's the Dow Jones for raw materials like Mm -hmm. pork bellies and frozen orange juice and wheat futures. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange, it began trading pork belly futures, and that was meant to stabilize pork prices, right? But it did bring some calm to the pork market and also led to one of my favorite films, Trading Places. (laughs) You like trading places, Elizabeth? I do. I right. do. Did you and your, your brother Trab, you guys uh, watch that growing up?
5: I think, yeah. Okay, yeah.
4: what's your third favorite scene?
5: Oh, goodness. I don't know. <laughs> you know that, like, I don't really remember anything more than like, an hour ago. I know.
4: You like how, like, an eight year old to keep asking you your third favorite I scene? I do.
5: <laughs> I do like that. It was your third favorite hero. <laughs> no, the problem that I have is that I'll know that I watched something, and then mm-hmm. if I watch it, it- it, like, refreshes my memory. Yes. But I, honestly, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I know it's, like, Dan Aykroyd and, and Eddie, Eddie Murphy, Murphy.
4: Jimmy Lee Curtis. Yeah. The, I don't even remember her. Do you remember the 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 gorilla? Like, were they, no? Do you remember the blackface scene where Dan uh, Aykroyd's in blackface? Yeah. Yes. Okay. You, I knew you remember some part of it. For those who've never seen the film, Trading Place is about these dudes. The Duke Brothers, Randolph, and Mortimer Duke. They're super old money. They have, like, seats on the Dow Jones Exchange. And the Duke Brothers, they have a commodities brokerage firm, which is what we're talking about now. They buy and sell raw materials that become the products we all buy. Now, the two brothers get in a spirited debate about nature versus nurture. So they decide they will test their theory with a bet. And so they pick a rich person, Dan Aykroyd, a poor person, Eddie Murphy, and they have them switch places and then see what will happen. Right. So they do this. They decide to ruin these two men's lives and they make Eddie Murphy rich. They make Dan Aykroyd poor and he's just like he hits the skids hard and they just. They determine that wealth is not about merit. It really is about, rather, who you know. Wealth is about access. Yeah. Who has it? Who oh, doesn't? Yeah. It's nurture, not nature, right? Anyway, Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy, they decide to get revenge on the Duke brothers for ruining their lives. So what do they do? They use frozen orange juice futures.
5: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you right?
4: Remember the this? ringing a bell. Okay, so they, they're active subterfuge. They have this agent guy, Meeks, who has... He has the crop yield report. So they get the crop yield report. They switch it out. They give it to the Duke brothers. The Duke brothers go and they tell their agents on the stock market, buy, 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 sell, 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 right? So they go in there and they have their marching orders and they're going to try to drive up orange juice to a fixed price, right? So the Duke brothers attempt to corner the market. Now, being super wealthy, they can do this. And they do it all on margin, though. This is where they make a mistake. Do you know what margin is? It's where you use someone else's money to buy stocks. Right, okay. And then when the price, when the when the time to actually purchase that comes due, you have to pay for whatever the price is set at that right, time. So you right. see a little bit of a fluctuation. You do not know necessarily what the price will be. So they buy this on margin. They got all these orange juice futures contracts. Market's open. Duke Brothers buying a ton. And then trading pauses. Crop yield report comes out. Everybody's like, oh, no, the Duke Brothers, what they were told is the opposite. So now everybody's trying to drop their orange juice prices. The market response, orange juice prices drop. At Great and Murphy, they have bought futures on the short. So now they can, because they have promised to buy orange juice, they have to start buying to fulfill their orders. And they do this. And th- what they do is they buy everybody who wants to sell orange juice, except from the Duke brothers. So now they they have these prices. They, they are contractually obligated to buy it bankrupts them Mm -hmm. this is the power of the futures market yeah because you're basically saying "Eh, tomorrow i will buy this these orange juices from this orange juice from you but whatever the price is tomorrow but today and you lock it in and that's supposed to stabilize the market some people make these bets well that's what the duke brothers ended up how they went up going belly up much like say a pork belly now (laughs) to bring it all back around to pork belly futures Farming has gone industrial, right? We all oh, yeah. know this. It's agribusiness, it's big business. That means they can lower the prices of the cost to bring a hog to market. Mm-hmm. That's been really helpful to also stabilize the pork product market, right? right? This also means hog farmers can leverage their size to control prices. And this is pretty much how you get price stability. Yeah. Right? This killed off the pork belly futures market. So 2011 Chicago Mercantile Exchange is like forget this we're not doing it anymore. The agribusiness basically made it no longer wow. necessary, right? This also happened to be coincidentally 1 year after Congress looked into the fixing of pork belly futures. <laughs> coincidentally. So, you know, it was that a little bit of congressional bit. testimony. And by the way, trading places was cited in congressional testimony to help the Senate oh, or to you're like, help the congressmen uh, men and women understand futures so no way. it's not just us yeah, exactly.
5: it's so, a good, good teaching tool
4: it is i'm telling you eddie murphy if you want to get people's attention and hold it eddie murphy exactly and you can throw on some dan akroyd if you really just look you know you got some canadians <laughs> anyway uh it turns out this whole thing i'm telling you this all applies to the onion futures market uh-huh. have you ever heard of onion futures no i've not well it turns out you can get onion futures you can buy onions before they come to market which are also now no longer traded on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Oh, they got
5: rid of those too. Oh yeah,
4: and uh, there, the, this case, so there isn't a classic '80s movie to explain it, so we'll have to rely on me. But, okay, you know, <laughs> just as is, good. Yeah, but it's the Great Onion Scam of 1955, and just imagine trading places like stuff happening, got right? It. You ready for the story of Vincent Kasuga and the onion cartel? Never been more ready. Okay, this story takes place in one of my favorite places, Chicago. Chicago's
5: amazing.
4: Dude, it really is. Like I, love I legit it. love Chicago. I
5: love it. There's so much green space for a big city. Oh
4: yeah, it's a it's a, a lot of the Midwestern cities because they were built in the 19th century before cars, they have a much better layout plan, mm-hmm. general structure. Everything's just a lot cooler. I've been finding that. I was in Indianapolis recently. I was like, this is a damn cool city. Oh, yeah? I mean not like popping off, but I mean like I like the buildings. Yeah. Anyway, Chicago's dope. In in her book, The Futures, author Emily Lambert was writing all about this economics, and she was explaining the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and so forth. She shared why Chicago and onions are so naturally inter- intertwined. Huh,
5: okay. Do you know anything
4: about this? No. No, I didn't either. So Lambert writes, and I quote, Onions were fated to trade in Chicago. The name of the city was derived from Chicago the Native American word for a stinky, wild leek plant that grew around the river.
5: No way. Yeah, Chicago was
4: basically a swamp before people got there. Yeah. And, like, indigenous people were like, oh, we don't camp there. Like, that's <laughs> it's right by the lake. It's just rats and onions. Nobody goes there, right? <laughs> so, now, this Chicago, this is one, this was the uh, Miami or the Miami tribes uh-huh. uh, word for the area. But the other people, other indigenous tribes in the area, they had their own term for it. But yet all of them seem to... Basically wanted to point out that this place is stinky as hell. Wow. (laughs) Returning to uh, Lambert, she says, quote, Chicaqua is the Miami tribe's name for the region on which the city and campus sits and is said to be associated in the naming of Chicago. It refers to the marshy environment where wild leeks, garlic, and onions grow, giving the area a strong and pungent fragrance. Other tribes of the region referred to the area as the place of onions and legends of a great skunk who devoured humans and covered the land in its pungent spray.
5: So it's like if you had a hell of a good candle,
4: uh, yes, exactly, all the time, and it smelled like skunk. But you know
5: what? Though I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get on onions. Onions are amazing.
4: Oh, I love onions. I'm all about like the allum family. <laughs> so, this fertile ground is where our onion conspiracy takes place. Now in this land where the great skunk devours people and leaves the land shrouded in skunky aroma, uh-huh. Chicago <laughs> is where we're gonna meet our antihero. You ready to meet Vincent Kasuga? Yes, I am. He was a farmer from New York. He uh, was in a place called Pine Island. It's a small town down by the New Jersey border. Kasuga had a big spread, about 5,000 acres of a black dirt farm. And black dirt is, like, really fertile, rich earth. So. He was growing celery, carrots, and onions, uh-huh. lots of onions. And so so that you can picture him, Kasuga was not a big man. He stood about five feet four.
5: Uh-huh.
4: He comes from Eastern European roots. And uh, he was born in America, though, in 1915. He started farming in the U.S. in the 30s. His farm was productive, profitable. He's very good at it. Two of his biggest clients, the U.S. Army and Campbell's Soup. Oh. Yeah, so everybody was eating his onions. Yeah. Now, Kasuga had a scrappy side to him. He was a little bit of a told you, spark plug of a man. Dude was driven by Will. He was just, like, about it. And he always kept a revolver on him and a billy club. Like in case, oh, he, case he got the revolver <laughs> away from him, he could billy club. Yeah.
5: I think he would, like, the, the billy club's the intro.
4: Yeah, that's, like, a close work. you finish it <laughs> <It's> off. Like, <laughs> get up that's close with a billy club. i just glad he didn't have a shillelagh. Those things will not that is, Yeah. Okay, now, my dude Kasuga, now... You know, he's the kind of guy who shoots first and asks for forgiveness later, Uh just like all good Catholics, you know. But (laughs) in all truth, he did contain multitudes. He was a devout Catholic. The dude, I might say devout Catholic, he donated millions to the Catholic Church. Oh, really? So much that the Vatican invited him out to Rome to have private audiences with the Pope.
5: He got the whole VIP pass?
4: Yeah, not one Pope, three Popes. Whoa. He had private onto three popes. Not only that, he got a ride up and down in the Pope's private papal elevator, which I didn't even know that was a thing. No, so, I, nor did I. <laughs> apparently they got this like like little cart that you them up it, and down on.
5: I bet you anything it's all gold. Oh, you know side.
4: it. You yeah. know it. Deep red carpet, gold everything. Mm-hmm. No, perhaps it was his resolute faith. I don't know. But something gave Kasuga the strength to go on when others would turn back. You know, it's like there was one time he crashed his plane. So he owned his own plane. Yeah. He was flying a friend home to Oswego, New York, somewhere up in there among the clouds. He's like, you know, I changed my mind. I'm going to go to Pine Island. So he starts to go on 200 extra miles. That's really testing your fuel tank. Yeah. Did not pass the test. Plane runs out of gas in the air. He has to ditch it. He crashes and totally walks away from the crash. So he's in, he's hospitalized for weeks. He had to wear a full body cast, and then when he was like done, he just checked himself out of the hospital and went back to farming because that's, that's the amazing. kind of amazing. Because
5: usually you hear, "Oh, he crashed his plane." The end.
4: Yeah, no, not this not dude. Him. <laughs> so in the 1930s, he gets involved in the stock market, and that's what will bring us to all of the criminality. Yeah. But first, a little break for some commercials and some capitalism. I hope, and then we'll be back with. I the hope Kizuya. there's a
5: commercial involving onions.
4: Oh yeah.
0: That's chumbacasino.com.
3: No purchase necessary. Group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. Go to LifeLock.com slash iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. Identity theft protection starts
2: here. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events.
4: So, we're we're in the 1930s. Vincent Kasuga has just gotten involved in the stock market. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm doing well as a farmer. I'm going to invest. Now, admittedly, this was not the thinking of most people at the time. Because there was a little thing called Black Tuesday in 1929 that wiped out most of the stock market. Everyone else was like, to hell with the stock market. That is legalized gambling. (laughs) Not Kasuga. He's like, that's legalized gambling. Exactly. (laughs) So, he decides to get involved. And he's like, I think I can make a fortune there. And he was wrong. He goes Um. into the 30s. He loses everything. Everything. His first wave out, he and his wife nearly had to, like, uh, hawk the farm. He was betting on wheat futures. And then the prices shifted as I kept telling you, and boom, he lost it all on margin calls. He goes to tell his wife, and his wife's like, that's it. You're out. And he's like, okay, okay, baby, I promise. No more trading wheat futures. Wheat futures. Yeah. He left open all the other other futures. But not ever again, baby. (laughs) So... (laughs) Now she should have like made him be a little more specific because like I said, a few years later, he's out there and he's deep in the futures market. He was flying to Chicago every week so he could go trade he lives in new york he's yeah. got his own pilot's license Oh yeah, he, yeah. So on monday morning he around. flies to chicago hangs out trades for like three four days thursday flies back and does like, she
5: think he's out like plowing the field
4: i don't know she didn't tell me
5: he's all like, be um all, if you need me i'm in her. the back
4: 40 yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't and know and then she hears the plane she's like oh darn it i'd tell you that vince <laughs> no i think th- i think she had to be aware of it you know? Yeah, know so you know anyway but gets Zarin, back,
5: isn't it more fun to imagine. imagine she had no idea? Oh yeah,
4: she's just in there like you know, baking Zarin, like, Let's have fun. peanut butter brittle and just <laughs> on her own, just having some me time. Yeah, listening to her stories, living her best life. Yeah, 1955 style. Yeah, so dope to the gills <laughs> and all of Mama's happy pills. Uh-huh. Mother's Little Helpers. Yes. She's got a fistful of Mother's <laughs> Little Helpers. Okay, anyway, so the dude, he gets good at trading. Kasuga starts, you know, not losing out everything and his wife's money and all of everything on the futures market. So he starts making bank. He starts getting really good at it. He starts buying Cadillacs for his brokers. That's how good he's oh, getting at it. Whoa. Multiple brokers, multiple Cadillacs. Not just like, hey, yeah. Steve, got you Cadillac. More like Steve, Gary, Lionel, and Gil. Antoine. Gil, got you all. <laughs> Got you covered. You too, Joaquin. <laughs> but uh, there was well, there's this one story about him that it's, it's like I was reading and I'm like, what a jerk. So anyway, the guy he's he's giving cars to his brokers, right? Uh-huh. They're supposed to be gifts. He's riding around one time and uh, well, I'll, I'll just put it this way. Quote from a book. Okay. He said, he presented a broker named Nate Wertheimer, who was at one point a chairman of the Merc, that's the Mercantile yeah. Exchange, with a big fancy Cadillac. Fifteen minutes later, they were driving down Michigan Avenue when Kasuga, in the back seat, put his dirty feet on the ceiling of the car. Wertheimer told him to take his feet off the ceiling of his car. Your car, Kasuga asked, and then stuck his feet through the canvas ceiling. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the Charlie Murphy story about Rick James and the white couch. <laughs> it
5: totally is. But at the same time, it's like,
4: you know, Murphy, he just gave
5: you. your couch, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> but he just, he just gave you a car. Like, yeah, you want to put, you know, good. Get it detailed afterwards,
4: yeah. I, I I think they're both jerks. I yeah, mean, I, I don't you know. You know what?
5: Everyone's, everyone's a, jerk. a
4: jerk in this story
5: <laughs> in life, so everyone's uh, a jerk. Yeah, in
4: life, you're gonna broaden it <laughs> I'm out. just
5: going all throwing the net wide on all it. right.
4: You leave my sister out of it. I'm <laughs> sorry, no, but anyway, uh, back to Kasuga. The uh, the dude, he like as I'm trying to convey, he's he's willful, he's mm-hmm. he's uh, controlling, yeah. and he's gonna do what he's gonna do, be it his you know, it doesn't matter if you're his wife or his broker, to hell with you, right? <laughs> so <laughs> If you uh Just keeping things, you know, like, modern, have you bought eggs lately? I have. Have you seen the prices?
5: Yeah, yikes. They're coming back down, but yeah. yikes.
4: So, like, you may be wondering, what the hell, egg producers, like, wh- why did eggs suddenly go up in price, right? Uh-huh. They jumped up by 60% over the course of the last year. Mm-hmm. A dozen of grade a, large grade A eggs was $1.79 a year ago. They were four twenty five. the beginning Not of this year. Not around here
5: in the Bay Area. They're way more Oh, than yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah,
4: we're screwed on that. But, yeah, but yeah they, but across the country, the average is apparently yeah. about this. So, anyway, as you pointed out, egg prices started to fall. They've already fallen about 50% back down.
5: Wasn't now, that because of avian flu? I've seen yes. arguments on both sides. One, I've seen that avian flu wiped out.
4: 60 million birds.
5: Right. And so, obviously, then you have the supply and demand issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also heard that, I think it was what the USDA was telling home farmers not to have chickens because they were worried that. Oh, that's
4: yeah, the whole pandemic chicken thing. I don't think that affected the market Well, no, as but much. I,
5: anyway, but yeah, uh, but a lot of people I know were like, oh, I got chickens. Like, you want to buy eggs for me? Whatever. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You and your, but I mean, your black market egg people. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shh.
4: Well, after those 50 or 60 million chickens were destroyed or whatever it was, the prices started to fall, right? Well, ultimately, what you notice is it's about still supply and demand. You know, there is still an economic theory at work underneath all of this, which is supply controls demand, demand controls supply. The yeah. two have this interaction, right?
5: Last time I went to the store, they were $11 a dozen. Oh, are
4: you kidding me? No,
5: I'm not kidding you.
4: Wow. <laughs> That's insane. I know. Well, my dude Kasuga, right, he's, like, inspired by these types of crazy price hikes. He's like, you know what, to hell with these, like, you know, oh, I'm going to get futures. He's like, what if I could, like, kind of control the price by either controlling supply or demand? Well, Mm -hmm. I don't know enough people to control demand. I can control supply, though. Right, So he starts getting into it, right? So his first time, he practices. He makes a a trading places-style bet. He goes out and he makes a weather bet. Okay. He says, okay. He purchases a bunch of Onion Futures, and he bets on the price to rise. And then... To guarantee that the price rises, he goes down to the local weather bureau and he bribes them to put out a fake weather service what? issuing a frost warning.
5: What?
4: <laughs> so the price goes up because of the frost warning, but the mercury, it never fell. There was no frost. It never went below 50 degrees. So yeah. oh, onion surplus was there. The market was like, boom, he made a Bunch on, on that, right? Interesting. He's like, oh, that was a good score. I bet I can go bigger because that was not enough for Vincent. Kasuga. So market manipulation was one thing, but he's like, what if I could totally control the market? And what if I didn't have to rely on lies and false crop reports or weather reports? So he's like, what if someone could do that, like control the market? That would be a huge fortune. And nobody mm-hmm. would look for onions, so... If someone did that, that person would be a master scammer. And he's like, that person that is, person's name is Vincent Kasuga. <laughs> so in 1955, Kasuga hits up his business partner, Sam Siegel. And he's like, yo, Siegel, I got, I, got, I got a new score. And he's like, oh, hit me up with it. He lays it out for him. He's like, oh, bet. I'm down. Let's do this. So the two of them, they start basically setting up Everything they'll need to control the onion market of America. (laughs) (laughs) The onion kings of New York. Exactly. uh, Dude has a a nephew who's still alive, Harvey Paffenroth. He was uh, talking to NPR about this, and he recalled what he knew of his uncle's onion hoarding. So Harvey Paffenroth said, well, he was building, it was a big shed of corrugated aluminum. I mean, huge. And he had a conveyor in there, and he was filling it with onions. So he was stockpiling all the onions from his farm. In the trading pits of Chicago, Vince and his business partner, Sam bought up all the available futures contracts for onions. By the winter of 1955, they had done the impossible. You may be wondering, Elizabeth, what is the what? impossible? Elizabeth, what is the impossible? Great question, Elizabeth. According Thanks, to Papenroth, Elizabeth. he owned all of the longs in the futures market, and he owned all of the onions in the United States. So basically, he <laughs> had cornered the market.
5: He owned all the onions in the United States? Well, 98%. Well, most I mean, of them. Yeah. That's, yeah. let's say, all
4: so Kazuki wow. he buys onions from farmers in California, from California to New York, to Texas, Minnesota, the, everywhere. Georgia Michigan, Vidalia, the Walla Wallas, everywhere that they had good sweet onions, red onions, white onions. He was like, send them my way. The chipellinis, You know it. Pearl <laughs> onions. So he, they start stockpiling them and effectively they start taking them off the market. So now the supply starts going down, 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 because onions like apples can last for a while yeah, on the yeah. market in cold storage in particular. So it doesn't take uh Kisuke and Siegel Long, they end up, as I said, controlling about 98% of the onions Whoa. in the Chicago market, which represents most of the United States agricultural That's products crazy. right so what does this mean in real terms like so what do they mean like they owned the onions right well to control the market if they control it, they can run the price up for the onions which is what he did so he starts to drive the price up as he dwindles the supply right uh-huh. so there's less and less onions going to markets he's holding them away from the market yeah, he's at like first. sorry
5: i only have like six for you yeah exactly. that means like in the 50s if you had french onion soup you were eating kasugas
4: oh yeah you were pretty <laughs> much only eating kasugas <laughs> Some good, fresh Kasuga. It's chunky. So now that he has the onion market pretty much controlled, he starts buying up onion futures, and that's going to guarantee his huge payday down the line. So he also now, to do that, he'll need to control all the other onion growers in America. So this is what he sets to do next. So in November and December 55, Kasuga calls a meeting of his new de facto onion syndicate, right? And he brings together this consortium of growers and wholesalers, distributors, and he tells them the plan. He informs that he wants to buy onions from all of them. Right. And he'll set the price. He's like McDonald's with potatoes. He's right. like, this is the price. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm paying a dollar 60 a bag. And they're like, OK, and these are big time onion guys. Right. So they can get prices. They feel they can set prices, too. But they didn't buy onions by the bag. They buy them by the train car. Right. Mode, right? right. So that's nine hundred and sixty dollars per train car is what he's saying, essentially. Okay. Right. So in this one train car, that's about six hundred. 50 pound bags of onions. Uh-huh. So there was another proviso in his deal that he presented to these guys. He's like, okay, you all have to agree not to bring any onions to market before the end of the trading season, which is in March. Uh-huh. So that's the future trading season. So that means until at least the end of March of the next year, he has all these gathered men make their promise that they will all allow him to buy up all their onions, so they're still making money, but then control the prices, which will drive up prices, and then they can release them back onto the market. Everybody wins, blah, blah, blah. Right?
5: So what are people's supposed to do for french onion soup for christmas well they're Zarin, sti- there's or new year's eve blooming onions
4: they're they're, they're they're doing it for the next year for 56 but so people for, have
5: but till march right
4: yeah so they're basically you're gonna have the huge surplus come out because right now all the harvest stuff yeah. everybody's cold but storage over that
5: winter people are gonna well they're
4: have... they're basically living off the onions from, from earlier okay so you wouldn't notice it until like easter that's when you're oh, like oh so my onions. easter french onions exactly soup. And <laughs> your easter <French> blooming <laughs> onions goodness <laughs> exactly. okay when, you're, when your family's sitting down for your Easter brunch at the Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> You're like, the blooming onion is $50. <laughs> anyway, so, so, while they're doing the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, is getting rumors that there's a fluctuation in onion prices. People are starting to notice that yeah. there's like the, the the supply is dwindling, prices are going up. Kasuga tells the growers, we've got this market under control if you boys want to cooperate. Now, he's like oh. basically telling them, we got it on lock. Do not mess this up and try to go out there and make money right now because the prices are going up. Yeah. And everyone's like, okay. Now, if you want to do some trading places money on your onions, which is what Kasuga wants to do, you buy futures contracts, right? So you tell an onion buyer, I'll make a contract with you. Come September, I'll sell a bag of onions for for three dollars right mm-hmm. and if the price is four dollars for a bag of onions you now lose a dollar on every bag because it's gone up right but if the price is down to two dollars you make a dollar on every bag of onions, right. right so that but if you can drive the price down you can guarantee that you make your money that's kasuga's plan right he's going to drive the price down even though right now he's driving it up
2: yeah right so
4: yeah. the onion cartel is, is not particularly enthused about all of kasuga's market ploys they're, they're pretty decent guys but he had them leveraged because they're be like well if he does this i'll lose it he could work this against me so their yeah. fear is turned against them so now they let him set the prices for the market so kasuga warns any onion cartel members that if any of them choose not to go along with his market moves well then he and Siegel quote would dump the onions on the market and decimate prices whoa right so everybody's yeah. terrified so this is going to be a big issue so they're forced to play kasuga's game everyone's going along with it and they now have to purchase roughly all of the car loads that they can and they're just Putting them into cold storage, they end up controlling eight and a half million pounds of onions.
5: Oh my god, these so, onion tough guys! Yeah,
4: exactly. So they, <laughs> they start, just stink. They just start <laughs> stockpiling onions in warehouses, worrying about like how they smell going home to their wives. Uh-huh. And and prices keep climbing. The money they're, they're just still they're making like, you've money. Been
5: with Vincent, haven't you?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I smell him on you. I can smell the kasuga. So the kasuga's onion cartel power—it's paying off big time, right? Onion prices continue. They're up to four dollars a bag. Now, remember, he started at $1.60, so they're all happy with this, but they're all cooperating under the standing that the agreement would remain secret. If anybody speaks about it, this smoky backroom deal, they'll all be busted, right? This is totally illegal what they're doing. So the idea was keep it secret. Now, that's the idea, not the reality, right? Right. So the thing about someone like Vincent Kasuga is they never know when enough is enough because there's never enough as long as there is more for them. They want the more, too, right? So. He should have been happy making his long daddy money off market manipulations, (laughs) but no, he wants to drive the price of onions up, and then he wants to drive it back down. That's going to take a lot of coordinated effort. So he pulls a double cross on the onion cartel because he's like, look, these guys are going to be a problem for me. There's too many of them. he crossed the onion cartel? He only needed the onion cartel to help him drive the prices up. Is he the El Chapo? He doesn't need their help to drop the prices down.
5: Is he the El Chapo of the onion cartel? He's the El
4: Chapo. The Elk Chopped Onions. Elf Chopped <laughs> Onions. I was going <laughs> <getting> to <laughs> <wrong. laughs> So once he has all the onions like uh, purchased and stockpiled, they're redundant. The other ones, yeah. they haven't thought this through because yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to help. We're all in this together. What are you doing now? You, he's got your onions. Exactly. So... He decides, oh, it's going to be soon time to release the onions. So at New Year's (laughs) Eve, the onion cartel, they told you controls 98% of the onions, and they are all in cold storage around Chicago. So Kasuga starts working the other deal. He starts deciding how he's going to short the price of onions. So he contacts a few people that he trusts in the onion cartel, and he decides, like some angry god of gravity, this is how I'm going to make the prices plummet. And they're like, okay, well, well, lay it on me. So... It's because he had one other problem that all the onion growers know onions rot, yeah. They, this can only go for so long, they're doing it over the winter, so that really helps them because you know, these onions are basically frozen in boxcars in Chicago, yeah. But it's going to get cold, it's like to stop being cold in uh, March, they're you know, right get when they mushy, these, the, exactly right. And you don't want like train cars sitting in mud with stinking onions, Ugh, right? No. So the onions they've been stored, and there's like you know. Just train carloads everywhere that you can imagine in the train yards just filled with onions. So they realize, oh, some of them are starting to turn. So they they take the train cars and they move them out of Chicago and they send part of them to Iowa and then they have the people in Iowa repurpose them. So they take the onions oh, and God. clean them up and rebag them and you, and sell the ones that are saleable and then ditch the other ones and then they bring them back. Uh-huh. The people in Chicago see more train loads of onions coming in. They're like, oh my God, there's even more onions. So the price goes down further. Whoa, <laughs> same onions.
5: I bet you they took the mushy onions and made them into those reconstituted onion rings. Oh, I the bet. The frozen ones. Yeah,
4: I think you're probably right. So this don't po- eat
5: them. They're all mushy onions.
4: Oh, yeah. Onion rings are all it's <laughs> wasted onions. like baby carrots. People, don't eat them. So they've got hundreds of boxcars now sitting all around Chicago. The only thing left for Kasuga to do now is is to screw his partners in the onion cartel oh. and, and work both sides against the middle, the middle being him. Yeah. So after this little break, ah. I'll tell you how he's going <laughs> to screw the onion cartel. Screw him. Okay, so, uh, Elizabeth. Zarin. Last we left the story. Yes. Chicago was swamped with onions. Just, just thick with them. Just rife with them, right? Just onions in every train there, in every boxcar. It's just, there's nowhere for hobos to sleep. No, people
5: are walking down the street, and they reach in their pocket for their keys. Like, where did this onion yeah, come onion
4: from? Yeah, onion falls out. Yeah. And they're like, ah! Darn it. Kasuga! <laughs> so soon, guys, I tell you, he just needs a couple more weeks for his plan to hold together, and then he's going to screw his cartel members and then short the price and be the only one to make big. But he does need a couple of them to help him out because, you know, he's feeling a little guilty, and he's like, look, you guys help me. Like, uh, I I like a couple of you. One of the co-conspirators is this dude named Dave Slinger. So he contacts his boy, David Slinger, and he's like, hey, this is the plan. So Slinger tells us the other half of the phone call, and he tells us this in congressional testimony. (laughs) So going from his congressional testimony... Along about the 20th of January, I had onions. Uh, I had my onions all hedged, and I got rid of all of them. And I went on a ski trip and broke my leg. And I was confined to the hospital in Wausau. And along about the 1st of February, I received a call from Mr. Kasuga. And he wanted me to call William Goering and suggest to him that we go short the market. I was completely dumbfounded because I thought they were on the long side of the market. I do not know exactly what was said after he made that suggestion, but I was left with the impression that he had reversed his position that he was shorting the market, and possibly his conscience was bothering him, and he wanted garing also to get in on the short side. <laughs> I told him that I didn't think that I thought that they were going to reverse their position and go short the market. The group should be called together and should do it together. Now, Mr. Kasuga answered that that would n- never do. <laughs> it would wreck the market in a matter of minutes and would go down to 50 cents. That The only way to do it was to control it somewhat, and only one person knows about it. I said, all right, I, I will call William Goering. And so I called him, and William Goering absolutely wouldn't have anything to do with it. He said, I won't do anything unless all the group acts together. Don't think i called call Mr. Kasuga back. I believe that was the last conversation I had with him until sometime in the summer. Doesn't that sound like congressional testimony? Totally- I don't even know the dude. I talked to him one time. <laughs> That, if he told you
5: that, he's a liar. That's daring.
4: I, like, I like how they're like, if we're going to short this, we're going to short this together, boys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're screwing them together. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound together. <laughs> so it turns out everyone was not as greedy as Kasuga was. So he basically miscalculated. He's like, yeah, we're all greed heads, guys, right? They're like, uh, no. They're <laughs> like,
5: no, we're onion buddies and you're a bad guy. <laughs>
1: exactly.
4: No, Kasuga's like, well, that's on y'all. I got God and a, and a gun. I ain't going to let that stop me. <laughs> so come March, when the new trading season kicks off for the futures, Kasuga went ahead with his plan. He's like, well, I, I told them they know what's happening. So he hadn't worked out so hard to control all of the onions in America to miss out on a huge profit. Right. So he and Siegel, they decide it's time to release the strategic reserve of onions. <laughs> <laughs> it immediately wreaked havoc on the market Reeked. on February 1st. <laughs> 19... <laughs> totally. I'm glad you caught that. 1956, the price of a March future for a 50-pound bag of onions was a yeah. dollar to a twenty-five. That's on February 1st. Okay. Right? Kasuga releases the strategic reserve of onions. <laughs> and then on March 2nd, the price for a 50-pound bag was 44 cents. <laughs> oh, whoa. On March 5th... I'm sorry. It was about 44 to 58 cents. On March 5th, then it falls to 44 cents and stays there. By March 15th, it had fallen to 10 cents. 10, 10 cents for a 50-pound bag.
5: Wow. Yeah, he got it
4: up to $4, now yeah. it's down to 10 cents. cents. $1.60 is about what market price should be. See, going around
5: all the stores and where the price tag is, he puts a little sticker of him pointing that says, I did that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> like the Kasuga special, <laughs> the, this was the lowest price ever recorded in the Chicago Mercantile Ten cents Exchange a,
5: for 50 pounds of onions. That's oh yeah, onion soup for everybody. And
4: coincidentally, this was just in time for Kasuga's future contracts to come due. That means the onions that he'd promised people to buy at whatever the price was March 15th. Yeah, he was. They were now worth a fraction of the price of what anybody would expect. So he comes in and has to buy up all the onions, and he just turns them over to the market he makes a fortune. So huge profits for Kasuga, none for the onion cartel except for, you know, his buddy Siegel. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so now the price for a bag of onions fell so low, it fell below the cost of the bag the onions were sold in. No way! A (laughs) 50-pound bag of onions cost 20 cents, the bag. Yeah. It was, the 50 pounds of onions inside, 10 cents. So people were keeping the bag because it was more valuable. Like, here, just dump the onions, right? Kasuga's former partners in the onion cartel, they lose fortunes, right? Because they're all holding. No, they're waiting to sell their onions. They, yeah. you know, so Whatever they had not given him. Yeah. So most of the onion growers of America, they also lose their shirts. They had been buoyed by the artificial prices, thinking, oh, this is going to be a great season. So they're thinking they're taking out loans. Yeah. They're doing all this stuff. Then the price just suddenly drops into like a one-week time. Oh, no. So now when the market craters, everyone's got all these worthless onions. A 50-pound bag of, you know— That's now worth 10 cents. That's about a 4,000% fall in value, I think. I think it's 4,000%. I'm not a commodities broker. I don't know these things. Sure, let's say it is. But whatever it was, no one was prepared for it. No one but Vincent (laughs) Casuda. So... This raises an interesting question, which is, what do you do with all the excess onions that are now suddenly everywhere? Like, onions were essentially worthless and just plaguing Chicago. They're just everywhere. There's loading docks, train yards, produce warehouses, jam-packed with onions. The onion farmers in the area are just giving up. Kids, like, to hell with Kids are eating them like apples. Dude, there was this cat up in Hollandale, Minnesota, who was so disgusted with the state of onion markets, he plowed under his whole field, just in protest. He destroyed the whole crop. The whole like, crop. to hell with this. Like, made a big scene and stink wow. about it. He's like, I'm not wasting my time on some worthless onions, but still, if you're not, if you don't can't plow under, what do you do? You go well, to
5: Bird's Eye and you say freeze them.
4: <laughs> well, there's millions of metric tons of useless onions that are on the market in Chicago, Elizabeth. To sort through this, I- I'd like you to do me a favor. Close your eyes. My eyes are closed. And picture it.
5: Yeah.
4: You are the head nun in charge of a Catholic <laughs> orphanage on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> As the mother superior, you could send one of the novices out to get groceries and run errands, but you like to keep a spirit of humility. So, at the orphanage, you insist everyone takes a turn getting the groceries and running errands. Today is your turn. You head out into the Chicago streets. A stiff cold breeze rushes past you. You clutch your bags to your side to brace against the winter winds. After a short jaunt, you catch a streetcar and head to the local market. At your local market, you discover something odd is happening. The green grocer is standing outside the store, next to him is a pyramidal pile of bags of onions, and he's practically begging people to buy a bag. When you pass him, he shouts, "Hey, sister! If you buy a dozen eggs, we'll throw in a bag of onions for free for the kids." Because he knows you got the orphanage. Uh-huh. The shame is you already have all the eggs and onions you need. You bought them ahead of time because you know the kids are going to want them. You're like, "Oh, these prices are amazing!" Omelet though.
5: City over there.
4: After you do your shopping, you plan to head down to the cobbler to check on some shoes that you had a novice drop off. You want the kids to have some fresh-sold shoes when they put their winter shoes away at the end of the season. Spring is arriving fast, it's mid-March, and you can practically smell the coming blossoms. You think to yourself that the poet Pablo Neruda would be beside himself.
5: Oh, is that what I think? and, And with
4: onions. Yeah. So as you walk past a gas station, you hear the owner of the station calling out to people like a carnival barker. He shouts, if you fill up your tank, I'll throw in a free bag of onions. Oh, like You shake your head and wonder if you missed a news bulletin. What's up with all the onions? As you watch some kids throwing them into the Chicago River, just like dunking them. Later on, on your way back home, you hop on the streetcar. You pass by where the stockyards run off to the distance, and you see a flatbed truck loaded down with onions. It's backs into a feedlot. The stockyard guys begin to toss the bags of onions into the hog pens, right? But they're careful to keep the bags. The bags are valuable. <laughs> but they're, that's the most valuable part of this operation. And you wonder if this onion diet will result in a more savory ham.
5: Probably. I mean, think about all the hogs that eat, like, wild, like the acorns and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, like in yeah. France.
4: Yeah. So you're about yeah. that life. So you know. You're am. like, that's going to be some delicious-ass hog.
5: Yeah, I'm just, like, licking my lips looking at them pigs and their own filth. <laughs>
4: but you're also wondering, where are all these <laughs> onions coming from? Chicago is getting back to its roots. Yeah, that's Chicago, right. baby? <laughs> so, how much was all this market manipulation worth to Kasuga? Well, now that he's got all of Chicago right yeah, for the onions. Yeah,
5: how did he make? How much did he make?
4: Well, all told, said and done, he pocketed about 8.5 million from his great onion scam.
5: And that's those his that's days those numbers. That's those, dollars. $1955. What's that today?
4: That's about 94 million oh off of onion futures Onion (laughs) futures. now when you make that kind of money off of market manipulation and there's evidence of what you did because you called together an onion cartel and you decided to betray those same men and bankrupt some of them the onion buddies yeah well some of them are going to sue you that's just what they're (laughs) going to do which is what happened to kasuga but if you can believe it kasuga's like to hell with that i'm suing you for (laughs) breaking breach of contract sue me sue Sue you you, sue everybody (laughs) so kasuga's lawsuit is going well. He winds his way through the courts. The lower courts affirm Kasuga's side of the lawsuit. The, The defendant appeals. The case goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. Stop. The Supreme Court has to decide the Onion Futures case and in 1959, the Supreme Court hears the Kasuga Onion Cartel lawsuit and in January, they side in favor of Kasuga. Whoa. Didn't do anything wrong as far as we're concerned. Well, that's just some good capitalism. <laughs> so, but that's not the end of the story because before the Supreme Court decided to take Kasuga's back in the, in the cartel lawsuit, a future American president got mixed up in the onion mess. Oh,
5: yeah. wait, what is this? 50-something? 55. Okay.
4: Can you guess which one? No. I'll give you a hint. Michigan. I don't know. Give me another hint. Not Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Enter future president Gerald Ford. Oh, yes, right. He's from Michigan. Exactly. (laughs) Congressman at the time from Michigan. I forget. We always forget about. Ford. We? I do.
5: <laughs> you it's, and I. It's right
4: there. Ford, you, Michigan. You Detroit, and I are always Detroit, talking Ford. about how it's we don't remember right there.
5: Gerald Ford. Yeah, you know,
4: we're just always gabbing about that. I
5: and mean, it's like every time I walk into headquarters. Yeah, right,
4: or read stitchin bitch, I'm and we're at our Stitching Bitch.
5: I'm like, let's just list the presidents and then you go. And then we forget. We skip. Our th- we're missing one. Oh, like, yeah, do we skip Polk
4: again? <laughs> now, Ford, he's like from a place where there's a ton of onion farmers and he's a young congressman. So he's going to do the business of the people. Yeah. So, Ford Ford gets in there, and he's got all these angry Michigan onion farmers on his line. So he's like, damn it, you can't bankrupt and nearly bust all these good farmers. And so he goes after Kasuga and the market manipulations. He goes to the floor of Congress, and he drops some fresh legislation. He's like, look at this. And it's there it is, the Onion Futures Act. It's going to be a bill he proposes to protect onion growers from the greed heads like Vincent Kasuga. Whoa. So Congressman Ford, he uh, puts forward his bill. To make all these type of market antics illegal. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I know he made us look bad and he busted a lot of people, but that's anti capitalism. So <laughs> they fight against it. They're like they file a lawsuit trying to block it. They allege that this will restrict free trade. So it's the same line you always hear, which was total horsepucky. But anyway, the Onion Futures Act, it made a lot of good market sense. And so the bill gets brought to the floor. It gets voted on. It passes. President Eisenhower signs it into law. And the onion farmers were like, yeah, we like Ike. Yeah,
5: well, I mean, it's like you have, we
4: like Ike? Well, you know, (laughs) because diet... (laughs) It's right there. Anyway.
5: <laughs> they uh, they say it's going to get in the way of free trade. Kasuga's getting in the way of he free trade. He is free
4: trade. That's what free <laughs> trade looks like. <laughs> oh. The Onion Futures Act, it makes it illegal to sell a futures contract on a load of onions Anywhere in America, huh. right? So that same year in, in 1956, the Commodities Exchange Authority, it brings an action against Kasuga and his business partner, Siegel. The complaint alleges that the two men had conspired, quote, with a group of other persons connected with growing, shipping, or trading onions in actions allegedly designed to increase or to prevent a decrease in the price on the mercantile exchange. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, basically they conspired against yeah, everybody. For,
5: so, yeah, manipulation.
4: Kasoga, being the plane crashing, market manipulating, <laughs> spark plug of a man, you know, who's cool with the Billy Pope and a, and a Billy Club, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll fight you all. So he goes and he hires a fancy ass lawyer and he fights the case, all of the cases, any cases, right? <laughs> and he cites the uncertainty of weather. He says, "This is the nature of farming. Crops fail. What are you looking at me for? You think this is my fault? Sometimes crops are bountiful. Sometimes they're not. All I did was make big money on." market dynamics he even says and i quote if it's against the law to make money in the united states then i'm guilty whoa yeah, i told you guys he's got backbone yeah, yeah so yes sir i would say you are you are guilty, <laughs> you are guilty. but he is you know since he's now stolen essentially 90 millions or 90 something million dollars about 94 from small farmers and other yeah. you know distributors and wholesalers you know, this isn't like stealing toilet paper from Walgreens so the cops don't go after him. You know, nothing happens right. to this dude. He right. doesn't go to jail. True to the nature of justice in America and according to American law and order, Kasuga is able to essentially steal $94 million from small farmers and all these other people. And all he has to do is just hire some lawyers to fight a couple cases in court. Goes at the Supreme Court and they're like, yeah, give him the big thumbs up. And <sighs> nothing happens. Commodities Exchange Authority, they bring a lawsuit against Kasuga. They're like, well, maybe our lawsuit will work. Nope. CEA loses in court, too. Court ruled that CEA, quote, had failed to show Kasuga attempted to manipulate upward prices of November 1955 onion futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and prices of onion cash, onions, blah, blah, blah. What? How? They had receipts. All they had to do was, like, you know, get anybody to say it. Everyone knew what he did. It had been an open secret. But they couldn't prove it. And the court's like, we don't care if that's the facts. You got to prove it. Yeah. Like, this sucks. But Kasuga's like, yeah, that's why I pay for the good lawyers. and So (laughs) he has to pay eventually a very small price for this injustice. He loses his license to trade commodities for a whole 10 months. Uh Slap on the wrist, Vincent. And then he has to pay a modest fine. And that was that. He never spent a day in jail, never had any real consequences. He pulls off the biggest scam in American farming history and is patted on the back by the Supreme Court. In America, the message has always been the same. If you're going to steal, steal big. Yeah, that is true. That's just the thing, right? And by the way, the Gerald Ford Onion Futures Act, that's still a law. And it gets cited as precedent law in 2010. Motion picture box office receipts were added to the Onion Futures Act, making it illegal to speculate on future box office earnings because people are starting to do that.
5: Oh, you're kidding. Yeah.
4: And then in the next year, 2011, that's when the Chicago Mercantile Exchange stopped selling pork belly futures because they're like, look, we just want to get off this whole. Game.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
4: So, you know, but it's not illegal to sell a pork belly future. It is illegal to sell an onion future, all thanks to Vincent Kasuga.
5: Dang. Right.
4: So, And also, you know, Gerald Ford. So thank you, Gerald Ford. <laughs> Who? Yeah, well, he's kind of kind of to me. It's always funny. Gerald Ford, the dude, pardoned Nixon. Mm -hmm. He fell down the steps of Air Force One a bunch, and he made onion futures illegal. That's quite a legacy. That is a legacy, right? Just I'm telling you, (laughs) kick rocks, Coolidge. All right, well, one final interesting twist for you. Kasuga went back to futures trading after all this once he got his license back after the 10 months in the, like, you know, the penalty box. Yeah. And he primarily focused on pork belly futures and potatoes at that point. And eventually went back to farming and commodities brokering. But he also did something kind of fun. In the 60s, he built an inn in Pine Island, New York. He named his place the Jolly Onion Inn, just to screw with people. Uh-huh. And then he was the chef of the restaurant. What? And he ran the spot for years. And he even had, like, you know, like a really great Sweet onion soup recipe that they still sell. So he sold the restaurant. It's still there. Restaurant still open. So if you're out there in Pine Island, you want to go I'm check in out there. Go hit their I, sweet you know onion soup. You I love soup. a good French onion soup. It tastes like scams.
5: <laughs> Zarin, <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: yes, Elizabeth. What
5: is your ridiculous takeaway?
4: My ridiculous takeaway. Thank you for asking <laughs> know. for the first time. I jumped ever. in there
5: so quickly.
4: Uh, I don't have one. Okay, yeah. So, Um, what's your ridiculous takeaway? I don't have one either. Okay, well, there you go. Onions. No, my ridiculous takeaway is the same thing as from the beginning. Capitalism is some (laughs) bow.
5: My ridiculous takeaway is, God, I love French onion soup.
4: That's ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. (laughs) Well, you know, thanks for listening. This was the Vincent Kasuga Onion (laughs) Scam. You know, folks, you can find us online at... (laughs) Twitter Excuse me folks and Instagram. I, if you want to bother you for a if you a wanna minute? connect with us, you know, <laughs> maybe like get cozy and comfortable and talk about life, hit us up. You can also email us, share with us anything of your thoughts, <laughs> your feelings, your observations. We're here for you. Hey folks. <laughs> so, that's all we got for you. Thanks for listening. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Vidavia Onion Coosting. Research is by Marissa Walla Walla Sweet Onion Brown and Andrea Song Sharpened Tears in My Eyes from All the Onions. Our theme song is by Thomas Onion Chutley Lee and Travis Spring Onion Dutton. Executive producers are Ben, a fresh bowlin' of fresh onion soup, and No, gotta get the onion rings at the varsity, Brown.
1: Ridiculous
2: Crime.
3: Say it one more time.
2: Ridiculous Crime.
3: Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.